Good morning, America. Welcome back to This Is Not a History Lecture. I think this is probably the earliest we've ever recorded. Yeah, I think when we used to have to record in the morning, we still aim for like 10 or 11. So yeah, this is probably 10 at least. It is yeah. 9 a.m. and we are 9 feeling the vibes today. It's a rainy day, so it's nice to get a little jump start on it. Enjoy the nice... It's finally cooler. Not the coolest, but yeah. it's cooler. My sister is texting me pictures of ice sculptures and snow um, from the north, and we are just below 80. <laughs> Well, well, no, no we, we didn't break highest, 80 yeah, in the last the couple days. Yeah, the in the 60s today. Um, it so. was 80, like, last week at some point. It, like, well, it, it was, like, I think it was, like, almost 80. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, it was close enough. It's it, December, it, it's and it shouldn't be happening. 80. Yeah. You know, I try not to compare ourselves to the North, but it is hard to com- not to compare yourself to, like, previous years. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And then I remember when I was, like, five years old, and it was 95 degrees on Christmas. Yeah. Oh, so, oh yeah. I've got pictures of me in tank top and shorts from when I lived in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, being from Houston, it was hot and humid, mm-hmm. and I remember. I was even, like, I think it was, like, maybe 2005, so maybe I was, like, seven. Whatever. Young. Yeah. And I even at that young age, I was like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like, yeah. Why do we live here? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I like having cold weather when I can be safe and warm inside, but saying that Texas does not guarantee the safe and warm part during icy weather, I'll, I don't. Oh, I'm not asking for, oh, like, no, I know, you know, I know. below sub-zero. I just would yeah. like a nice, cool, like, winter in Texas I'm vibe. I like, like a 40 or 50s. Like a 40 or 50s. Yeah, yeah lows in the 30s. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds that sounds great to me. Just enough where you've got to, like, check the weather to see if you got to bring your plants inside. Yeah. Yeah, like, I want to, like, layer because yes. how else do you dress if you're not layering, you know? Yeah. No, agreed. Yeah. So. so. Well. Yeah. Well. Yeah. This is um, going to be episode 99. Which is kind of crazy to me. And it makes me want to die a little bit, but in a good way. Yeah. No, I I am very excited about the fact that we are at episode 99. Um, and... Get down. Get down! Uh, uh, so his once episode appearance, Appa's here harassing us. <laughs> even though... Oh my god. He's really loving that box. Anyway, um, yeah, he no, is, episode ninety nine is a weird. It's a weird feeling, but I'm excited for it, and um, yeah. it puts us. Bef- they will record one more before I leave for holiday, and then um, we'll be back in the new year. Yeah, which is really crazy. This is our last episode of two thousand and twenty two. Oh my gosh, that ended. We didn't even plan that. The timing on we the really, numbers, yeah. we really didn't. I mean, we would have had to plan it all the way back when we first started. And let me tell you, we weren't planning anything back then. No, we were so. not. <laughs> so this is great. Yeah. We've done no, well. It really worked out. So if you have stuck with us this long, thank, thank you. you. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are new listening to us, please don't listen to the early ones. The early ones. We I should was, redo. We should. A cu- like our first eventually, one. Eventually. Yeah. Eventually. I was thinking that would be something fun to do. Maybe for like. 150 i don't know yeah um anyway um we do have a super fun one coming next week that you should definitely tune into we will be do we tell them yeah yeah. okay we will be i think we mentioned it but we'll be doing a mystery round mystery history essentially i like that mystery history um essentially we will be picking two people well, each of us will pick one, and we won't tell each other the names, but we'll just start going through their lives, mm-hmm. 
until so it'll be like when we do a biography but we never say but who we never it is their name. and so we have to see how long it takes us to guess who the other person is talking about yep and we're trying to pick people that aren't like obvious but are like notable enough that it won't be like oh so and so who like no one has ever heard of before from yeah, exactly. the 1400 i yeah. sit through the whole thing and i'm like how why would you pick this person no one's ever heard of them before yeah <laughs> yeah as I started my research for mine, though, I realized it's going to be a little tricky because some of the names of other people surrounding them. I know we might have to fudge the details a little bit, but if we do make any changes to help, um, you know, mm-hmm. the maintain the mystery, yeah, we uh, will like keep a track of them, and then at the end we'll like go back and be like, okay, yeah. this is what this was, mm-hmm. and this is what this was. Yeah. So we're gonna do our best to still provide a good, well-rounded episode with a little bit of fun yeah so we hope it is fun because we're thinking that listeners could play along too and see how fast y'all get it Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it'll be an experiment but hey we wanted to do something fun for episode 100 yeah if it goes well we are thinking maybe we'll do some more so yeah yeah history mystery be sure to be here if you don't want to listen to this episode at least listen to 100 yeah (laughs) but i will say you should listen to this episode because kat claims she has a fun one oh i do i take that with a light no i i really do with kat (laughs) it is Um, but i absolutely do have a fun one today so um yes so mine is genuinely a fun topic should we yeah let's hear it i'm curious oh i do want to note what are we noting? I finished my big event yesterday, oh, so yeah, I feel done. much better. Yes, you should. It's over yeah. and done with. It's over and done. and I can breathe. I, I need to take a morning to sleep in and actually recover, but like I can yes, breathe a little bit. You can. Um, so have you ever heard of um, <clears throat> The War of the Bucket? No, I have not. Good Lord. It's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> Uh, okay, please regale me. It's funny. All right, not really because you know. people die, but everyone dies. But it's like funny. Cat strikes again. But it's like the Great Emu War. Okay. Okay. Well, to let's be fair, no it. one died in that let's, one. Let's hear no it. people died. Yeah. Um, so I am so curious. Please, please. If there was, like, a weird, quirky history event that had, like, a cult following, it would be this. Um, This is a very oversimplified version, but also because not many details have survived. Okay. Like, it's old enough that we have accounts, we have, like, depictions, we have... We know what happened. Yeah. But there are some pretty big facts among it that are still disputed by historians. Stuff that no one thought to write down because, again, it's like, oh, duh. Right. Um, people will know what happened here forever. And then, boom, they don't. So, essentially, in summary, two uh, warring city-states go to battle over a bucket and thousands of people die. You know, it happens. It really does. Um in reality, it's a much deeper issue as it tends to play into hundreds of years of conflict between these city-states, but I'm going to give you the best background I can on those warring city-states and then the short-lived war between these two groups. So buckle in, because um, I have to contextualize this for you, and Kat is not great at medieval history. Medieval. Who among us is good at medieval history? Among the two of us and Kitty and Appa. 
A kitty seems like he would be into medieval, to be honest with you. You know, I 100% believe that Kitty would be a medieval historian. If Kitty could read, speak, function as a human. Um, all of, the, all yeah, of those all things of those that are things. necessary to not be a dog. Um, and to be into medieval history. Yes. <laughs> so let's take it way back. Back, back, back to 1075. The right. papacy in the Holy Roman Empire, which is, say it with me, people, neither holy, neither Roman, nor an empire, Classic. <laughs> have fallen apart into these battling sects. More places to just call themselves stuff. That's just not true. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like, just make up stuff. I am the most illustrious woman of pleasure. I'm stealing the title. Um, Lady Castlemaine would, like, bite your head off. I just <laughs> and she know. could do that. You know, that's her right. I'd allow it. <laughs> um, but these people really were just calling themselves things that didn't exist. Um, but this conflict between... To be fair, she didn't call herself that. Oh, which is, no. Yes. That's she true. was given that title. Yes. Although I... Spoilers for my section. I did end up doing a bio on her. And I guarantee you, if someone else hadn't called herself that or called her that, she would have. So... <laughs> and I appreciate that. <laughs> yep. Um, so this conflict is tearing up a lot of Northern Italy. Um, it is an all out war for quite a while, just back and forth skirmishes. Like it's not titled a war, but they're, they're warring with each other. All these different small groups, Mm -hmm. it kind of settles down back and forth and picks up again. It's, it's come to a nice little settlement in 1122, but Northern Italy is just on the brink at all times. Tensions are high. Like, Aren't we all? <laughs> no, I'm You're not. not. Constantly on the brink. Uh, oh, I thought you meant high. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm That's not high not right now, but um, I uh, am <laughs> feeling the life. effects of that candle over there that you are burning. It's very nice. It's making me feel very good. It is just a normal candle, if in case anyone's wondering. It, you know, it literally is. I'm just joking around. From here. the Marshalls. <laughs> the Marshalls. So, an eleven fifty four. Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbosa. Barbosa is such a good name. I know. Frederick Barbosa. Bar- oh my God, Barbarossa. There we go. He's a German king. He's the king of Germany. And he's like, hey, I also want to be king of Italy. And as the Holy Roman Emperor, who is none of those things, he says that he is divinely inspired, that it is his right, that he is a conduit, and he deserves to also be king of Italy. Probably kind of wants to be king of the world, if we're being honest. But, you know, that's a different discussion. The papal Italians are like, no, you're not actually holy, no matter what your name says. That is the Pope who is charged with that responsibility and divinely inspired. And he puts you there. And the Pope is the one that we will follow, not you, some pretender to holy rites. So... Barbarossa kind of like, it's like, okay, I, I appreciate your doubt. Now I'm going to come over here and conquer a bunch of Italian city-states like Milan and Bologna. Like, he's he's basically like, I, it's not petty, it, but I feel like there's, he did it because of an actual military desire to, like, you know, have control over them. But I feel like their denial of him probably... You know, he's like, well, now I'm gonna extra like, conquer you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if there's an, a, such, a such thing as extra conquering, he did it to them. Um, and also, I would like to say at 
that the title, the name of the city-state Bologna is spelled like baloney, but I'm assuming that since it's an A on the end, it's pronounced Bologna. I, I think that's right, but I also have always wondered and never known exactly how to pronounce okay. the actual The place. actual, yeah. yeah. Because I listened to pronunciations online, and they all were, like, giving me doubts about whether or not they were talking to the meat or the uh, actual yeah. city. So, I believe it's pronounced Bologna. I am sorry if it is not. His, uh, Frederick Barbarossa's attempted negotiations with Pope Alexander III fails. They kind of meet up and they're like, hey, let's hash this out. For the good of the people, let's not like start a full out war. But they resolve nothing. Like they're both not about to give up any of their power or their perceived power. And Barbarossa is like, you know what? I'm going to do right. I'm just going to siege Italy instead. And he does. So they finally held off Frederick Barbarossa um, at the Battle of Legnano in 1176. The Lombardy League there is just, they're, um, they're pro-papal power. And so they're fighting pretty hard to keep Barbarossa away. And they force him to retreat. But at this point, he's done a lot of irreparable damage to the city-states. Um, they've Their divides have sharpened. The animosity between them has heightened. They're just warring among themselves now, including especially states like Milan and Bologna that are have been held under his command for a while. And now they're pretty They're for someone who it wasn't more than a generation or so under his control. They've gotten pretty diehard in support of him hmm. and against the papacy. And that's kind of significant, but I also know that it's different when you have like shorter life expectancies and things turn over a lot quicker and you just kind of like got to go with alliances of whoever's going to protect you. I mean, maybe he was just a cool dude. Maybe. I wish I knew more about <laughs> Frederick Barbarossa. Maybe um, he had some sick tricks on the skateboard and you're like, you know what? This guy is way cooler than the Pope. So <laughs> Who knows? Maybe the Pope was good on a skateboard too. He no, was not. He was, he was not. Yeah. Mm-mm. I said it and I immediately knew. <laughs> yeah. Um, those robes? You can't skate in those robes. No, you're completely correct. <laughs> um, so the papal faction is especially powerful in Modena. Um, they are called the Gelfs. Gelf. The Gelfs. God. No. It is spelled G-U-E-L-P-H-S. Unnecessarily oh complicated. That's worse. It was bad. And then it, and got, it got worse. worse. God. I know. I don't know who wins, but I hope it's they lose. <laughs> no one wins in this situation. Um, well, they don't deserve to win. So I'm That is happy. true. Um, so the, yes, the Guelphs, the papal people in Modena are particularly strong and they are nearby their neighbors that are supporting the imperial sect. Uh, again, this is Bologna. Um, they are called the Ghibelline, Ghibelline, Ghibelline. It's Italian. So I think it's Ein, right? I have no idea. It's two L's. I'm going to go with Ghibelline. Gibby for my Carly. Oh my God. Um, well, I also Googled this one and the pronunciation is difficult. Um, but it is also spelled G H I B E L L I N E. It's just unnecessary guys. Um, <laughs> well, unnecessary, unnecessary to my American non-Italian influence. Okay. To be fair, this patterns. is also the 1100s. That is true. So I feel like we're not necessarily dealing with modern versions. So I don't have to judge language. myself. <laughs> no. <laughs> So these two city-states are barely 30 miles apart, but they are constantly at each other's throats. Um, Frederick's been there, again, long enough to really 
set those divides. It's interesting to me, though, that two city-states, like, 30 miles apart are that strictly opposed to each other. But I guess it says something for how isolated individual city-states could be um, among themselves. I mean, 30 miles was a long time. Or a long Especially, like, on foot or, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, the most famous feud between the Gelfs and the Ghibellines is... This sounds like, I don't know, they would make like a high school drama about this. Like, rival schools. You just said it. The <laughs> most the most famous conflict between these groups are the Montagues and Capulets. Oh my god. Uh-huh. I should have known. Uh-huh. That was my first instinct. Like, <laughs> you knew. I knew. Shakespeare's ghost, like... <laughs> Shakespeare just rolled over in his grave. And then when mentions Gels, he's there. It's like, uh, <laughs> I knew. You called? You rang? <laughs> um... So lines are drawn thicker than ever when the Bolognese attack Modena in 1296. They take two city-states, um, Bazzano and Savino. They tended to um, people in these areas. If I mean, if you're like overtaken by someone and you're like, oh, they're not great, but I can live with it. And then there's some people who are like, I am pro-papal all the way. I will not stand for this. They'll just leave. So people will like go to places that are more yeah, susceptible or adapt. Like, and mm-hmm. that creates an even stronger divide because you either make it work or you leave, and that just it creates a um, echo tunnel kind of mm-hmm. situation. Hey, what are you doing? Hold on. There we go. Um, Every episode. Uh, so. He likes the attention. <laughs> hey, had to have their guest star moments. <laughs> so. In 1309, we're, I know we're progressing by like a couple decades here each time, but Modena is under rule by Rinaldo Bonacossi. All right. Mm-hmm. He's also got control of like Mantua, Parma, Reggio, and he continues um, to command attacks in the Bolognese area. At this point, the Pope is like, hey, you've got to stop attacking Bologna. And he's like, bet and so the pope is like well you're now going to be literally an enemy of the church and just declares him an enemy of the church because he doesn't like him messing with the papacy control of the city states you know we should do that more declare enemies of state or the church just of anything i think unfortunately that would be um well that's too political i can't say that um (laughs) i think you would see what i'm saying is i think that like normal people you are my enemy i declare it Oh, also, yes. we used to like be able to like ostracize people. That's fun. We should Let's bring do that, that more. Excommunicate. Let's yeah. do that. We still do that occasionally. What did they do to Napoleon? Banished him to the Isle of Elba? Yeah, there's a word for it though, right? To be like Oh shoot, maybe, I know what you're Yeah. Maybe just it's like not It's not excommunicated. Ostracized. I know it... it'll come to it starts with an A, I think. Yeah. Anyway, we gotta do that stuff more, guys. Why did we stop doing that? Probably because it gave too much power to, um... Napoleon went on that island, and he didn't have any power. And then he escaped. Yeah, and then he died. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you shouldn't try to invade Russia in the winter. Um, it's all because of that. Actually, it is kind of all because of that. Anyway, that's a discussion for... Well, he wasn't the first one to do it, No, he was not, nor was he the last. Looking at you, Hitler. (laughs) Um, so... Yeah, the Pope's literally like, hey, this guy is an enemy of the church, and I will sweeten the pot. Anyone who can actually attack Bonacolsi, 
I will give them indulgences. Oh, indulgences. Which, if you're not familiar with that practice at this time in the Catholic Church, basically, you could spend less time in, like, purgatory for your sins. And it basically, like, forgave your sins and got you faster to your place in the afterlife. Um, You could buy these usually, but poorer people couldn't really afford indulgences necessarily. So this is, like, a great chance to basically incite anyone to go attack this dude. Um, Indulgences are a large part of the reason that... We end up seeing See, a split. Here's with... the thing, too. We just, mm-hmm. you know, you know, enemy of the church, but we don't have indulgences, any, indulgences anymore. So we, we don't, don't need those. Need to... Mega churches are already strong enough. <laughs> we don't even need to worry about, you know, just be like, this guy's an enemy. Well, seeing, yeah. No one attack him, though. <laughs> I mean, churches still don't get taxed, so. Well, yeah. That's, yeah, you that's know. a whole different discussion. I was about to say, churches, um, there's a whole different Wow. This Go is... attack this guy and we will pay even less taxes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fly more drummer boys around a church for a Christmas oh presentation. If y'all didn't see that video, there's a church. I saw the speeds about which church it was. I actually, I didn't see anyone talk. I just saw the original video. So. Oh, I saw so many people talking about yeah. it. Someone said it was the one in Dallas, um, but other people were saying it's the one up in like Washington or whatever. Anyway, there's a church that paid to like like rig um lifts throughout their entire sanctuary and um fly these drummers around in the air for a christmas presentation and they had like dancers on stage doing like an interpretive dance it was just a lot oh and people were like this talking about it um, you guys are making too much money <laughs> i just i never thought i'd see this. i just never thought i'd see a church who spent money on flying their drummers around a sanctuary like oh, multiple drummers rather than spending it on like you know homeless you never thought you'd no, see that no i thought i'd see it i just <laughs> never expected to <laughs> Oh, I just I, never thought I I'd have to see it, it in action. I mean, surely it was a shock because that's probably a, the furthest I've seen a church go. Yeah. But I was like, the smoke machines were a lot, but this, this checks out. Yeah. So, um, the, the Pope was basically like, yeah, I'll, I'll get you into heaven faster if you like try and attack this dude. And there's a lot of people that are like, you know, okay, bet I'll, I'll try. It was the 1300s. So. Yes. So we have obviously a lot of conflict between individual people, individual city-states. They're all just ready to beef with each other. And this takes us to about 1325. Um, The 14th century, obviously up to this point, has not changed. We see a lot of power breaks um, between organizations. I mean, the whole world feels probably to these people like it's shattering at all times. Um, And it starts to happen within these individual sects, which is not great because the Guelphs had a lot of power. Like they were, they were kind of on top, even though you've got the two groups like holding their own, the Guelphs were really, were really the ones that were like holding on to the actual influence in most of Northern Italy. But when they start kind of dividing themselves up and we see the white Gelfs and the black Gelfs warring for power between them, again, a house divided cannot stand. So they start losing some of their power because they can't unify on some of the basic issues anymore. Um, They're kind of distracted amongst themselves. This leaves a window for the Ghibelline group to put, to kind of pull some of that power back to their side amongst the discord. Mm -hmm. And 
the petty fights start to escalate. We we see a couple actual like deaths like from the fighting, you know, we um we attacked your village and we we attacked a farm and now everyone's dead on it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um the Bolognese especially have been known to raid the uh far- uh others farms in Medina and burn their property. So it's obviously escalating to like violence violence. Um looting wasn't uncommon, but this is also not something that's uncommon in the rest of the world at this point. We're still dealing it's the medieval times. Like we're still our, our code of honor is a little bit different, I should say. Mm-hmm. There's one instance where for like two weeks the Bolognese are just like looting uh and attacking Modina and this marks like a turn because Bonacolsi doesn't just literally like take this laying down. He he's like, okay, we actually have to organize against them. We can't just be doing like petty stuff back and forth. We send some farmers to go take the cow. Like we've got to we've got to fight back. So mm-hmm. he and some troops from another nearby city, he kind of pairs them up, and he is able to capture a Bolognese fort or castle. I saw it kind of called both. Um, it's right on the outskirts of the actual city, so it's pretty significant, and it puts them close to it. It's said that this particular conflict was kind of easier because people at the people holding the fort slash castle didn't really want to be there anymore. They're kind of disillusioned and not happy with what was going on. I don't know if that was also maybe a situational thing, like, hey, we haven't been supplied food. We haven't been paid. I didn't find a lot on why they were actually unhappy, but I can imagine that whatever's going on, it was enough for them to just kind of be like, oh, no, you're here. Attacking the castle. Uh, um, legend has it that this, well, and the legend is a legend for a reason because we're not exactly sure what happened and historians don't agree. But the straw that breaks the camel's back is an oak wood bucket from a local well. I think you mean the bucket that breaks the camel's back. Please log off your mic and leave. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, it was the bucket that broke the camel's back. Um, Listen, buckets weigh more than straws. They so. do. Um, so this was that bucket. Yes. Depending on the bucket and depending on the straw. Yes. But I'm going to go with most of the time. <laughs> yes. A group of Modenese... We don't even think they're soldiers. We think that they're probably either, like, petty-level, like, foot soldier, soldiers or just citizens who are, like, having a drink. And we're like, this will be really freaking hilarious if we do this. They sneak into Medina. Or, sorry. They sneak into Bologna. And they go to the, like, community well. Mm-hmm. And they just take the bucket and run. Classic. And when they get back to Medina, or they, like, just put it in the city hall. And like, hey, everyone, look, we stole their bucket. Classic. Yes. Classic prank, man. Mm-hmm. Stealing the bucket, man. Um, and many historians believe that the bucket was actually stolen afterwards and that the real instigator to the actual war slash battle was the capture of the Bolognese castle and fort, which is very likely because I feel like capturing a castle is more significant than capturing a bucket. But... These guys were being kind of penny. They like had it, they put it literally in the town square. And at this time, you everyone's like walking by, seeing this bucket and laughing. 
that they took the bucket from these people. Like, aha, it's so easy to sneak in and take a bucket. And they get real butthurt about it. <laughs> the, um... Real bucket hurt. Yeah, real yeah. bucket hurt. God, the dad jokes are so strong today. Um, Listen, it's before noon. It is. It's going to happen. This is where it's dad I joke re- territory. This is like what I revert back to. It's my natural state. I, you know, I appreciate that. <laughs> so this insult is enough to really rile them up. Sorry. Big yawn. Um, the Gelfs demand. They were like, give us our bucket back. And everyone in Medina is like, no. And, <laughs> Go get and, your own. That is my own. It's my bucket. You have more buckets. <laughs> they really, they literally do. They, there's more than one bucket in a there's city. Got to be more than one bucket. And if the, you only have one bucket, how many buckets do you think? You need more than one well for a city. You need more than one bucket for a city. That's yes. actually legal code from Italy. <laughs> At least three buckets per every citizen. Kitty, who's an expert on medieval bucket, code, bucket history, he told me, and he's our um, he's our uh, resident medieval historian. Yeah, he's our expert for this episode, and he does verify that that's true. Yes. Um, and the Bolognese are like, give us the bucket or we will go to war. And the Modanese are like, no, try it. And the Bolognese are like, fine, we will. And actually declare war. Hell yeah. Um, so Modena is actually presumably the underdog here by size and stature and resources. Um, the Bolognese end up invading their neighbors and... They are led by Malatestino del Ocio, who is Lord of Rimini. He is leading troops from Bologna and Romagna to get it back. To get back, not just the bucket, but, you know, their pride. Um, But he is met with a force from Modena, led by Bonacolsi, who um, has with him German soldiers, because... Guess who previously controlled them? The German Friedrich Barbarossa. Uh, callback. Uh, There's that guy. Again. Yeah. So he had left when when Frederick had like left. He had left with like some of his German soldiers there, not intentionally necessarily, but like uh-huh. there's just German soldiers there that have actually seen battle and are actually trained. This is not some like little militia that Modena is pulling forward. They've actually got like trained people and they also have forces from mantua ferrara and um, and medina all coming together for this hmm. so while bologna has over thirty thousand troops on foot like thirty thousand on foot like that's a lot and two thousand mounted warriors they're they're obviously more in number than the Modenese forces. But this isn't some like joking matter. It has implications of lighting a much bigger war all over again. So officials step in, namely the Pope. Um, he declares the faction leader of Modena a heretic for these actions. I mean, he's already an enemy of the church. So like, whatever. Um, you know, what is absolutely against Christianity? What? Stealing another man's bucket. Oh, a hundred percent. That's just wrong. Yeah. I can attest. It's actually in the Bible. <laughs> Shall not steal. It's actually the 11th commandment. The 11th commandment. Thou shalt not steal buckets. They forgot to flip over the tablet. It was on the it back. It was on the back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a really important one. They just ran out of room on the front it's of the page. It's actually the biggest one. And like the That's why it took a full page yeah, on the back. Yeah. But no one bothered to turn it around. Mm-hmm. So. That one's our bad. Um, this is why God abandoned us. <laughs> 
sins of man have become so strong because of the bucket. <laughs> anyway, before we commit more um, sacrilege. Um, so, before... Sorry, I lost my place there for a second thinking about the new 11th commandment. Um, he... Oh, yeah. So, the Pope is... It's said that he actually, like, showed up and led some troops... Because that's how into this he was. He was, like, so scared about, like, the power of papacy versus Holy someone Roman. someone was going to come and steal his bucket. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> his bucket being power. Um, He's like, listen, we got bucket thieves on the loose. I gotta, I gotta go do something. <laughs> um, I, I could not find it confirmed 100%, but multiple sources did say the Pope himself, like, showed up and was like, I will fight with you. And I'm imagining a Pope, like... Writing into well, that's the thing. Like the Pope at this time is so different than the Pope now. Yeah, I'm still gonna imagine him in his little outfit. No, yeah. Do you think that they made him like armor, but in the shape of like the Pope hat and like the robes? (laughs) Couldn't tell you. I really couldn't. I don't think they had the money. That is true. Um, (laughs) You know, I don't know exactly what he wore. To ride into battle, but I'm sure that Vogue would have been very impressed. I am getting Joan of Arc vibes. This is... Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the Gelf's problem is, again, that they're not really trained in military tactics. Um, So, they're they're going into this, like, feeling great. They're like, there's no way the Modenese army has, like, as many people as we do, or the forces that we do. And the Modenese army is just like, we do actually have training, though. You shouldn't underestimate that. Turns out, you should not underestimate that. Yeah. And um, the the Modenese army has about a sixth of the foot soldiers that the Bolognese soldiers do. They have something around like 5,000 on foot versus the 30,000 that the others did. And they imagine, That's a big difference. I know, it's a huge difference. Jesus, like six to one. It's literally six to one. And this, but they did have the same amount of mounted calvary. Cal- oh my God, cavalry. Talk about religious. I used to confuse Calvary with cavalry all the time. I think most people do. Oh, good. It's not you just know. me. <laughs> I can't even say it. Please don't. If it's going to be that bad, please don't. They might take our bucket, but they'll never take it. Don't our say it. Freedom. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We are in rare form. This is why we don't record in the mornings. I don't even think it's me. It's just me. I'll own it. I'll own to it. <laughs> this is um the Braveheart speech. The brave, yeah. The um, bucket heart speech. If you haven't seen Braveheart, it's it's funny. Um, like the, <laughs> her reference is funny, not the movie. Um, <laughs> it's actually a comedy. <laughs> a three-hour long. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Um, no. So yes, the Modenese army, even though they are severely outgunned and outmanned without the actual guns, because like you know, um. Their training comes in clutch, and as the sun sets and they actually ride into battle, the Modenese army like wins, like six to one. They win. Nice. Um. The they they didn't have to like slay everyone, but they do enough damage where the Bolognese are like, oh shoot, and they are outside of a town called Zappolino, and. Over a course of about two hours of battle, the Modenese, who are scattered among open plains, severely outnumbered, 
manage to drive back the Bolognese who are stationed in the hills, have the high ground, and six times the amount of foot soldiers, and they get nice. the Bolognese to turn tail and retreat. Nice. I don't know how, but it's kind of impressive. And unfortunately, through the two-hour battle, about 1,000 soldiers on each side are dead, which is a lot. Yeah. And also yeah. contributes to the fact that this is one of the bloodiest battles of the medieval times. Like, <laughs> like the Battle of the Bucket ends up being one of the most oh bloody events. Um, so, <laughs> I know. You know. I know. You know. That's I, why. It, I, sometimes it's really frustrating when your brain just goes straight to whatever joke you can make. Sometimes it's very inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, so a thousand people on each side did die, so we can't yeah. joke too much about that. No, I won't. It was just gonna. No, we'll see. No, no, um, no, no, so no. it they... wasn't that bad, but also. <laughs> yeah, they managed to break through. I'll censor myself. <laughs> Sometimes we gotta. The Bolognese retreat into the city, but the Modenese army like comes after them. They're like still following them. Um, I don't know if it's like a full charge or if they're just trying trying to drive them back but the modernese managed to break in through the city gates enough to cut off the water supply destroy some of the structures and like castles around the edge of the city that were there for protection they even managed to take a few hostages like a couple dozen nobles are brought back to mudina like as like collateral and for the bolognese obviously as we can tell this is a little bit shameful you were like physically gonna be able to dominate them um but the Modernese army, they're kind of petty. They're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stage a massive, like, physical competition, like a decathlon outside of your city, just to <laughs> brag. And they do. They have a full-out, like, field day outside the city's gates. just everyone gates. carrying buckets around. Look at all these buckets we've got. We took them from you. <laughs> and... Yeah, they're just, like, showing off their prowess and bragging by having, like, a little decathlon outside the city gates of Bologna. And this is also part of legend and has not been verified as far as I could find. They may have stolen a second bucket. A second <laughs> bucket? Who does? Them or the other? The no, Medina. First, yeah, yeah, the yeah. The guys who stole the original, the original bucket. bucket. Mm-hmm. They came back for another one? They were having a whole decathlon. After they decathlon. Got their butts whooped? No, 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 no. No, no, no. The Bolognese are the ones that... The, Mo- Mo- the Modenese okay, stole the bucket originally. Yes. And the Bolognese stole i'll call him mono and bolo okay mono stole the bolo bucket okay. the bolo declare war over it right the modenese kick their asses kick their asses have a decathlon outside of the city oh my god so not only are you stealing buckets you lost the war that you declared because someone stole your bucket this is this is so much <laughs> i told you it was a good story these guys are too crazy it's <laughs> crazy um I don't know if that's true, unfortunately, with the second bucket, because I feel like that would have started an all-out war After again. they got their butts whooped, mm-hmm. they Couldn't came they back for a second bucket? bucket? No, no, no. No, no, no. they went they, back. Yeah. Yeah. They were already having bucket? a decathlon outside the city to brag about their victory. They may have just been like, hey, we're going to steal another bucket. Oh, okay. Well, I see. Yeah, yeah. After they already whooped their asses. Yeah. They're like, you know what? Insult let's, to injury. Yeah, let's rub salt in that wound. I mean, they've been fighting for hundreds of years. I think there's plenty of salt and plenty of wounds. <laughs> Um, but what's interesting is that even though 
the Bolos had essentially declared this war because their bucket was stolen. Well, the Modanese don't retaliate after they win this battle. Yeah, they have their petty little like competition outside the gates and everything, but they don't physically retaliate, which is interesting because later when they go into negotiations, they get to say like, hey, we didn't attack you. You attacked us. Like, the damage we did, we're not, like, financially responsible. Mm. Um, so when negotiations come up later, it actually plays in their favor that they didn't retaliate the original battle. All in all, um, a bucket seems like pretty small beans as far as reasons to go to war. Um, but this literally has more participants than the Battle of Hastings. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is, I'm not kidding, one of the bloodiest battles of the medieval times. Like, there's no worse for it. You know, truly spectacular. It, it really is. There's I should say medieval about, Europe. I should say biggest battle in medieval Europe. Yeah. There's something about the human spirit that's just so... Ridiculous? Admirable. Oh. <laughs> the just sheer amount of hubris is just... It really is. One thing that connects us throughout time and history. Yes. And it, the whole this whole battle, 2,000 people dead, it really carries no real outcome. I well, mean, yeah. the Ghibelline power and dominance has somewhat been restored, but that one battle is not enough to wipe out the, one or the other entirely. So there's not like anyone surrendered or had like a total defeat. The fighting would continue on for a couple hundred years after this. They're petty little like pillaging and plundering it keeps going this fixes nothing and the papal gelfs in Bologna remain relatively safe although it's kind of embarrassing to have to like hole up and protect yourselves like that um but the modernese also probably knew that they didn't have the the forces to fully like sack a whole city so they probably didn't mm. attempt it that's probably why they didn't attempt it um but you know what the one thing is that they don't agree on in their negotiations. Hmm. The return of the bucket. I was going to say, who gets the bucket? Medina uh, keeps the bucket. I, that doesn't surprise me at all. They yeah. They were like, the victors. So they were probably just like, you no, want it? You want it back? Come get it. Spoils of war. Come get This is the bucket. My... <laughs> the oak bucket is our spoils of war. Um, it sits in the hall. It still sits in the city hall of Medina. Like Hell. you can go see it. Yeah, it does. They they said something about a replica being put in place, but then the real one being moved to like another city hall or something like that. Um, so I don't care. Yeah, I just like that they still have it. It could be a replica. It's a it bucket. Could be a statue, but they're still talking about it. They're still, oh, they are still talking they're about like, the bucket. This is my bucket. Come and take it. Oh, dude. I'm imagine that flag. It's the come and take it flag from San. Is it San Jacinto? No, it's that's Gonzalez. It's. I mean, it's the Texas. I don't know. Exactly. The come and take it cannon, though, was was that Gonzalez exactly. or Jacinto? I don't remember. Okay. I don't know. Oh, that. no, that's Gonzalez. You lived in San Antonio, so. Um, <laughs> it's literally a high school rivalry. It's literally. It's a high school rivalry. Literally. Where 2,000 people are dead. That, like, mascot that, like, one school steals before the big game. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, like, the better school, so everyone was like, why did you do that to them? <laughs> like, why would you try? And then they, like, win the game, and then everyone's like you're going to steal another one? And they're like, yeah, we are. We're going to try. And then they keep it in their hallway for, in a trophy case for yes. like decades. Yes. It's literally that. Yes. I think I've seen a movie about that. <laughs> I mean, they adapt Romeo and Juliet into teen movies all the time. Just do this. The War of the Bucket into a teen 
school spirit movie. I feel like this was actually an episode of Riverdale, so I think. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you're right though. <laughs> so, um, they're literally just fighting back and forth a little bit here and there until 1529, when they see the invasion of Charles the First from Spain, who is now the not holy, not Roman, nor emperor. Um, which is the next point, and they're like, okay, we kind of have to like tolerate each other because this dude is going to like conquer us from Spain and we don't really want that. Um, but the, because of that, because of the eventual obligatory alliance between them, they kind of stop, they, they kind of both become a little more moderate. The division isn't quite as bad. Um, and especially because after, you know, inevitably Charles of Spain, you know, famously does, you know, take over like everything. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well now, um, we are being ruled by the Holy Roman Empire, so we gotta kind of just not fight. We're both being literally ruled by the same person, so we're just hurting ourselves. Um, but, like, the real... This is what's crazy to me, is that, like, the real concept of Italy as we know it doesn't even form until 1871. Mm-hmm. So they're fighting for, like, hundreds of years. Just petty stuff, back and forth. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, we we have documents, like I said, there are a couple, like, renderings of it and stuff, but historians don't agree on if the bucket was stolen and sparked the war, or if it was the taking of the fort slash castle that sparked it, and maybe the bucket was even stolen afterwards through their, like, during their victory decathlon or something. But either way you slice it, this story has now become, like, a, a cult-following event in which a bucket and a war happen and 2,000 people are dead. And a lot more since then. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Yeah. You know what? So I'll that's... say it again. Humanity. There, the, we just something. The indomitable just, human spirit. Listen, instead of like going to war over things, we just like have like a little football game. But like it's still there. That's the World Cup. It's, yeah, it's still, like, we still have to, like, beat each other in some sort of way, even if it's symbolic. <laughs> yep. We're like, I hate that guy. I'm gonna beat him at soccer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, I wish all of our, all of our stuff was as... That's how it should be. Yeah, yes. fought by, um, sports games. Yes, yeah. I'm A trying to... Abdicated, for... that's the word I'm thinking of, for Napoleon. I had to Google it as soon as Abdicate. I was done. Abdicated was the word I was thinking of, and then banished and exiled. Banished. Yes, exiled. Maybe that's it. Was exiled that I was trying to think. Okay, of. was it? Did I say that? I don't. We remember. said exile. I thought, but anyway, that yeah, we that's the word I was thinking of. Napoleon. Ah, uh, we said exile. Anyway, um, it's the know, morning. It's too early. But yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Well, that was great, Kat. Thank you. And I told you it would be fun, but not like. Yeah. Well, two thousand people are dead, so it's not like funny, but it's like fun. It's like Kat's definition of fun. Tell me you didn't find that fun. I'm not saying I didn't. <laughs> but when I am like, let's do a fun piece of history, I will talk about Lady Castlemaine. As you are going to do now, I assume. As I'm going to do now. It'll be amazing. Um, but first. But first. Here's a word paid programming. Our sponsors, except we don't have any. No, we do not. <laughs> this is a vibe. We are being sponsored by our own will to live and the sheer ability to retain a life force which is fading quickly so please by lighting candles (laughs) our life force is fading quickly 
just our will to live oh yeah that's fair that's fair um it's getting rough out here guys um winter is coming so what is your rec for the day you know i'm gonna say it again i've said it a million times the locked tomb (laughs) cat wonderful cat and our wonderful friend emma got me the first two books for christmas which i very much appreciate and i was like looking at them last night and i was just like it's good. That's some good shit. That's some good. That's some good stuff that's right some there. Some good shit. <sighs> so that is my recommendation. It's I love it. So ugh, incredible. I'm I'm here for it, and I I support it, and I love it. You did support it, literally. Yeah, I, I did. My recommendation is because Cal. I don't know how I didn't know this existed, but the Tiny Desk concerts by NPR. Oh yeah. Um, I exposed. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing, and it's super amazing. And if you are like me and didn't know what they are, YouTube them, the Tiny Desk Concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know that – well, I do know now that Broadway companies are brought on to um, mm-hmm. the, to perform. the show Yeah, quite yeah. often, apparently, which is really cool. Yeah, they have, like, literally everyone. So I love that. And then all this talk about slightly older history than I'm used to. I'm going to recommend that everyone listen to Six, the musical. It's fantastic, and I love it. And it is one of the only reasons I can comprehensively understand what happened with King Henry and his wives. That is the first time I've ever heard Henry VIII referred to as King Henry Henry period. Like, you didn't say the eighth. You just said King Henry. I figured that when I... (laughs) <laughs> contextually people knew no i, I definitely about. knew who you're talking about but it was just weird to hear king henry that was my like curve <laughs> <my voice. laughs> i'm sorry it is early oh man i'm just in a right. silly goofy mood <laughs> all right yeah, my my love, Kermit voice does come out in the morning sometimes. I would love sometimes. to see six. You know my rule though. I know I can't you listen before I see. Yeah, Cal doesn't listen to musicals. She has to see it first. Uh huh. And then I'll listen to them however many times I want, but I need to see it. That's fair. Um. Yeah. I can't say that I follow the same rule. You definitely because I don't. have no money to go to Broadway and see <laughs> it's things. It's not like I'm going every weekend, and I'm a huge Broadway fan. <laughs> yeah, but if I stuck to just the six musicals I have seen, I would never. It's more than me. So. Yeah, that's fair. Um. But I also am not like a. I say actual, I love Broadway too much to yeah, just. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not like a. Ooh, let me listen. You know. Yeah. So, all right. So yeah, we will swing back around and let's Ooh. learn about your topic. You said that you, you know, were doing. I was really expecting this to be one of a, a, a shorter episode, but I am sitting on eight pages of notes. Dang. So well, let's hit it. Let's hit it. Most of this is like details because oh, are they tawdry woman, details? And they are. Tawdry. Okay, then this is that our is warning. Word. If you don't like tawdry details, yeah, then... Yeah, this uh, might be a little bit more of a mature topic. She is the mistress of King Charles II of England, and so we will be talking about some more adult topics and themes, so fair let's warning. Hit it. Um, but today we are going to be covering Lady Castlemaine. I'm ready. Lady Castlemaine is actually her official title. Her name is actually Barbara Villiers. 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 Okay. V-I-L-L-I-E-R-S. Okay. Villiers. 
She, her family, obviously, were the Villiers, and they were actually very well off. They did have noble status. Oh. And they are from the parish of St. Margaret's in Westminster in London. So if you are familiar with England, you probably know where that is. I am not. Um, I am not either. She was born on November 27th, 1640. And I would say she's a Scorpio because that would fit, but she's not. She's a Sagittarius, which also makes a little bit of sense. She was the only child of her father, William Villiers, who was the second Viscount Grandison, who was the half-nephew of the first Duke of Buckingham. So if you know anything about royal anything... I don't. That makes sense to you? It doesn't make sense to me? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> but basically, they did have like some nobility. They were, you know, they had titles. They had clout mm-hmm. in that way. Um, her mom was a woman by the name of Mary Baining, who was the co-heiress of Paul Baining, who was the first Viscount of Baining. So she's royal on both sides. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, though, on September 29th in 1643, her do- father does pass, pass in the First Ingle Civil War. So this is um, Thomas Cromwell and his people. Oh. Yeah, so um, this is right after that happened because Charles II is actually the Restoration King. So after um, Thomas Cromwell and his people mm-hmm. were like in charge for a little while, Charles II, who is eventually like who she has this affair with, mm. um, he's the Restoration King. Um, and it's important too because her family was staunch royalists. Like they were super, super in support of the British royals, probably because they themselves were royals so um, yeah <laughs> if your royals lose power you lose power and you don't want to do that it's not good also very unfortunately <clears throat> he uh, her father spent a lot of money investing in this war he spent a consi- considerable amount of uh, money on horses and ammunitions for his own resident that he was in charge of and so that left his daughter and his wife you know after he died not so well off. Um, so that meant that shortly after he died, Barbara's mother did have to marry oh. um, very quickly. And she actually ended up marrying Charles Villiers, who was the cousin of her late husband. <clears throat> Not great. Don't love the cousin thing. It's, but at I least mean, it's, it's very through common, her husband. Though. Yeah. I, it's very common. Yeah. yeah. But at least it's through her husband. Yeah. So. Oh, if it was her own cousin, I'd be more... Yeah. I mean, it's also like you see it a lot in older stories and books that like... If your well, brother leaves a widow in a family or something, or like your brother leaves a widow family or cousin, it's yeah. like partially your financial well, responsibility anyway to care for them. Especially if... There's a kitty! Yeah, there's cats that live over here. It's a black cat! Sorry. Yeah. Um, especially if you're royal, like, it's super common. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, like, judging her for it, but still... I still am like, cousin. <laughs> I would not do it, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, God. Um... Anyway, so eventually Thomas Cromwell and his people do, like, succeed, and they execute King Charles I in 1649. So Barbara and her family have to um, basically swear their allegiance secretly to Charles II, the Prince of Wales, his um, King Charles I's son. Um, so, like, from, like, a long time, like, their family is royal to this guy, and so Barbara's, like, you know, connected in these circles, mm-hmm. especially because they have to go, like, underground with it, and so she's growing up in this, like, ooh, kind of, like, secret society mm-hmm. of people who are, like, still supporting the king. Um, and 
they even had this, like, I guess every royalist did this, but on the 29th of May, um, which was King Charles II's birthday, they would, like, go and drink to him, but they had to do it in secret. Oh, because they couldn't yes. Be found out, yes. You know? um, at this time, Charles was living in The Hague, which is in the Netherlands, and he was hanging out with his brother-in-law, the William II of Orange. Um, so if you know vague stuff about... London, not London, but English, Mm -hmm. you know, royal history. William of Orange is a familiar name. Charles II, not as familiar, but whatever. So what's important about this is that because her circle becomes so tight, um, Barbara actually becomes known as, like, the beauty of the royalist. Like, she is, like, the prettiest up-and-coming girl, the most eligible bachelorette. She's described as tall, voluptuous oh. with masses of brunette hair slanting heading slanting heavy lidded violet eyes they always love to call eyes violet and that never it existed. never means anything yeah <laughs> alabaster skin and a sensuous sulky mouth <laughs> okay so like she is like the woman to get and so she is like really desirable and she has the titles to come with it but and, you know, royals like the Mary Royals, so that's appealing. But she has no money. So that meant that she kind of had to take, you know, whoever came along and, like, actually... Highest bidder. Yeah. Um, so her first kind of serious, you know, love interest was a man by the name of Philip Stanhope, who was the second Earl of Chesterfield. But he wanted to marry Rich, and so he dumped her and married another lady. Jerk. A couple years later. Bet he feels stupid later. Yeah. Um, so that meant on April 14th, 1659, she marries a man by the name of Robert Palmer. So she's also known as Barbara Palmer, um, her married name. Um, and he was a Catholic, which you know is important. I'm not sure what her family was. I'm going to assume Catholic if he was Catholic. Yeah. Um, I don't think I saw that in the notes. Um, but this was like not a good match from the beginning um, the husband's Robert's family was like not happy with the match at all. They were like because of her lack of money. No, because of her reputation. Oh, she, she and him had very very different personalities. Ah. He was known as very bookish and like he just wanted. He was very quiet, studious, very devout Catholic. Um, whereas she was like you know. A society girl. She was flirtatious. Like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously she was beautiful. She There was rumors around her about being sexually promiscuous, which, of course, you know, you can't really prove. But, you know. Yeah. Um, they were very popular rumors. Um, and, of course, there was the little tryst she had with the Earl of Chesterfield a while back. So, like, you know, who knows if they actually, like, did the do. But mm-hmm. that's not earning her any brownie points with his family. And his father even allegedly said that Barbara would make Palmer one of the most miserable men in the world. Oh, that is high Um, damnation. let me tell you, she does not treat him well. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. So at the end of 1659, so later that year, um, the English um, protectorate, so Thomas Cromwell and everything, um, you just ripped your thread. I did. Thankfully, it's long enough where I can tie off the end of what I was doing. Yeah. Um, they, like, had been taken care of. Um, Charles II has been proclaimed queen, uh, queen, king, and we do have, like, the restoration of the English line. Yes, to, like, queen. 
crown. Yeah, to the crown. So we're back. We're back where we're supposed to be. In theory, we're back where we're supposed to be, according to British monarchs. Um, so that meant that, like, all of a sudden, you know, everyone who was royalist and secret could come out and be like, "Yes, we love this guy." Um, so in celebration, the Palmer family set sail for the Netherlands as part of an entourage to go and get Charles from the Hague and take him to England, like for the coronation. Um, it's a huge party, blah, blah, blah. And this is when we suspect that the affair between Barbara and Charles begins because this is when they probably would have first met. Um, roughly how old is Charles? I'm not sure when he was born. Like, is he young, young or like? I'm trying to imagine, like, how impressionable he would have been. Like, like where is he in his, you know, like, ability to hold his position? And Let's see. He was born in 1630. So he would have been about 30 and she would have been about 20. Oh, okay. So this is, like, yeah. a fully... Yeah, this he's is, like, like... Okay, he's yeah. not, like, a mm-hmm. young, young king. He's... No, yeah, no. Yeah, this is a grown man. Okay. <laughs> so we suspect that this is, you know, when they got together but we what we do know is by the time they made it back to england he was smitten they were they were two peas in a pod to say the least um by the summer of the next year he had already given her like an official royal allowance he had already given her a oh. house to move in oh they yeah um a house on king street which was close to the whitehall palace um, our good friend, if you listened to last episode, Samuel Pepys, who was a diarist, um, had this to say about walking past her new house on the evening oh, of July 13th. This guy's eloquent. I'm ready. This guy was everywhere. He comes up more than once in the story. And I, I was like, like, like Sam, the, what were you doing? He's I want the society your man. That's what I know. he is. He's like the gossip columnist and I'm kind of, I, I'm kind of obsessed with it. So he stopped by to listen to the music that he heard coming from her house and wrote in his diary, quote, the king and dukes there with Madame Palmer, a pretty woman that the king and his brothers have a fancy to, to make her husband a cuckold. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? Yep. <laughs> what he didn't know is by this time, the summer of the next year, it hasn't been a full year since they've met. Miss Barbara, Miss Babs is already pregnant with her and Charles' first child together. And she's still fully first married. First child. There are multiple. There's a lot. Oh, wow. At least five confirmed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And most of those are when both of them are married to different people. Don't love that. Yep. For the sake of those other people. Yep. So that's why in February of 1661, um, after Barbara had been Charles's mistress for just over a year, she gives birth to their first child, a daughter named Anne. Um, Palmer does claim, so her husband claims fraternity for the child, even though, um, <laughs> even though, um, Charles II is like, no, this is my kid. And Palmer's like, no, this is mine. Cause he has, he's got a safe face a little oh, bit. Yeah. So I, I don't blame him. Um, and after this, in order to like, you know, kind of give her a little bit higher status so it can be seen as like more reasonable that he's like you know, mm-hmm. consorting with her. Um, and also to give him a way to eventually claim any children that he has with her, like as his heirs, like as like to basically legitimize them. Um, he created, um, he basically gives them titles. So her husband and her become 
um, <clears throat> the Baron Limerick and Earl of Castlemaine. So like Lady and Earl Castlemaine okay. and yeah. like the Baron and Baroness of Limerick. So they, he created these titles in 1661. He gives them to them. Um, but there's a massive stipulation mm-hmm. in that these titles were only inherited through her, not through him. Oh, oh. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. I guess if you're the king, you can do whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that meant that all of Barbara's children got to have titles, but if he, if, you know, they get a divorce, him and her and Robert, <laughs> or Roger, whatever his name is, um... If he goes and gets a divorce and has kids with another, he doesn't get to... He can still keep his title, but his kids are not going to inherit that with another person. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, it also um, meant that his in, his illegitimate children could secure inheritance and a title and status and all those stuff. So, he's taking care of them, which is pretty cool, you know? More mm-hmm. than I would expect. Um Samuel Pepys has this to say about this event. Quote, there was a patent for Robert Palmer, sorry, Roger Palmer. I've been calling him Robert. His name is Roger. To be Earl of Castlemaine and Baron of Limerick in Ireland. But the honor is tied up to the males got only, got of the body of his wife, the Lady Barbary. The reason whereof everybody knows. <laughs> this guy's literally like, like XOXO. I said, this gossip is, girl. I like, literally, literally, it's a gossip column. <laughs> literally i don't know if he like published this or if we just have his diary but whatever reason why we still have his little his little anecdotes i am i am glad glad. for it um so barbara obviously immediately takes to this new title she's like yes i am lady castlemaine um (laughs) like she's loving it meanwhile while roger who is like oh my god like i can't even ignore it anymore like my wife is fully cheating on me and not just with anyone with the literal king like (laughs) yeah oh my god um so he is not super keen on this new title like he's you know he has a seat at the irish parliament and he just like he doesn't take it and he's like ah i don't really want this because it would be him kind of admitting to being like yeah i know this is happening like i'm gonna take the favor because i know how it came about yeah because like this guy feels bad for me um (laughs) <laughs> doesn't really doesn't really help because he's got another reason to be embarrassed yet again which is that Barbara is now very openly and publicly the king's mistress everybody knows it and everyone also knows that she's pregnant again oh my god this poor guy mm-hmm. I feel really bad for her husband I mean maybe he was just like caught up with her beauty and like he made a bad choice and he should have listened to the people around him um, yeah, but I, I don't they like... They do divorce, like, pretty soon here. Um, so it's, like, just, like, three years that he's just got to be like, oh, this sucks a lot. Um, but you still still really feel yeah. bad for him. Because she's just doing what she wants. Which, like, to be fair, go off. <laughs> you well, like, know? do what you want to do if you... In a consensual situation. Yeah. Like, everyone needs to be on board in the same yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, we do also have another problem entering the scene and that comes in the form of Catherine of Braganza. Catherine, why did I say that like that? Catherine of Braganza, who is the queen to be arranged. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's a royal marriage. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is um, a problem because Barbara is currently pregnant with 
Charles's second child, and his new wife is en route to England. Um, and so a lot of people were like, okay, you know, he's got this thing with this lady who's married, and like, maybe it'll end once he gets like an actual wife. So they're like hoping once she gets there, like, okay, it'll happen. However, <laughs> however, <laughs> Barbara's not gonna take this. And so she insists on giving birth oh my God. to their second child at Hampton Court Palace, which happens to be where the king and his new wife are staying for their honeymoon. <laughs> oh my God. I feel bad for his new wife. I do feel really bad for her, too. Unfortunately, because of history and precedence, I'm sure she knew that there would be mistresses. Yeah. But, like, not new, but she probably knew it was a possibility. I was really hoping that, like, it would be kind of a thing where, like, hey, this is an arranged marriage. I'm just here to have heirs. Yeah. You know. um, Or that they would be, like, like, friends. For political reasons. Because there were some instances where you saw, like... No, they, like, did not like each other. They hated each other a lot. That sucks. (sighs) So, um... Wow. Yeah, so this obviously mm. really secures her place in the life of Charles, and he allows it. He's like, yeah, you can come and have your baby here while I'm on my honeymoon. Uh, that sits a little uncomfy with me. Yeah, like, not great. These aren't great people, but no, well, we can know yeah. that they're not great and still have fun with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> he's like, yeah, sure, you can come. You can come on. Um, and so she does, and she has their second child, a boy named Charles, was born in 1662. Um, he is again officially recorded as the Palmer, as Roger's son, but the king immediately and very publicly recognizes his baby, that baby as his. And so this was kind of the final stra- straw for Roger, like her actual husband. And so um, he's also like apparently known as Europe's most famous cuckold. Oh no, poor guy. <laughs> no. So he actually officially files for a church separation from Barbara and he like literally, he leaves, he leaves Europe. He's like, oh, wow. I'm done here. <laughs> like, uh, this is it for me. Um, so he goes to study off somewhere. So now I'm going to take a little bit of an intermission to talk about the um, ladies of the bedchamber because this is kind of an important note here. So the title of lady of the bedchamber is the title of a lady in waiting that holds the official position of personal attendant on a British queen, um, queen, God, why can't I say this name? Like the reigning queen or the queen consort. So like this is, um, very high status, high level position. Okay. And ladies in waiting, of course, are like, you know, peers of the queen. So they all are royal and they're from, you know, wealthy families, blah, blah, blah. Um, the different ladies in waiting are the mistress of the robes and the women of the bedchamber. Um, <clears throat> there's a little bit of separation between, um, you know, who does what, and they all have their official duties and roles. Um, and lady of the bedchamber is a very, very high status position from what I was reading. Um, it's either like the highest or the second highest. So we are a very high profile okay. here. Um, this, a similar equivalent or the same position is held by most other European Royal courts. Um, and, the Dutch have it, the French have it, the Germans have it. Like, they all have this position. So it's very well-respected. It's, 
universally agreed like this is high mm-hmm. high status um a description in 1728 lists the tasks of the lady of the bedchamber was to act as the go-between for the queen and the women of the bedchamber who had the task to wait upon the queen by helping her wash dress and undress and so forth a woman of the bedchamber worked independently from the lady of the bedchamber and did not take orders from her however if the lady of the bedchamber was present a woman of the bedchamber would always defer to her okay so just own get, thing, but yeah. yeah, she's kind of like the boss, but like she doesn't need to be there for stuff to happen, you know? Yeah. Um. So. So like, okay, if a woman of the bedchamber and the lady of the bedchamber were there, the lady would not help her dress, but instead of give the garments. Oh, sorry, sorry. So the lady of the bedchamber would like direct would be the one dressing and like doing the most like personal contact with the queen okay. if she was present. However, a woman of the bedchamber could do that if the lady of the bedchamber wasn't there. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> so it's very, it's considered very prestigious. Like this is um, a very high profile role. Um, and a lot of different um, queens have had some scandals around their ladies of the bedchamber, including in 1930, or sorry, in 1839, Queen Victoria was determined to have had too many wives of Whig politicians <laughs> and like in her ladies in waiting. So it led to what was called the bedchamber crisis. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So like they had this huge uproar cause they're like, there's too much influence. So they had to like do something in parliament about it. So anyway, all of that is to say like, this is a very, like, this is not just, you know, casual. This is very high status, high level. You have access to the queen. You're probably with her more to- more often than not. Mm-hmm. And so, this is why when Barbara, and after having, you know, her a son for the king now, um, is feeling very, you know, I'm free, I don't got a husband anymore, I've got a son with the king, she's like, I'm going to do what I can to secure my place at court. And As so he, she persuades Charles to support, to appoint her to be Queen Catherine's new queen's lady of the bedchamber. That's kind of catty. Yep. Oh, it oh, it for sure, for sure is. Um, the queen or the queen to be had been told about Barbara before she arrived in England, and her mother warned her to never have her in her presence. She was like, "Don't even mess with this woman. Like, mm. you don't need it." However, <laughs> um, Barbara was not going to let that happen. And so initially the queen was like, no, I, you know, I have my own ladies. I don't want this to happen. And like when you, I, you know, I think it's pretty well known that like when you are with these women constantly, you become pretty good friends. Yeah. So it is kind of, I feel really bad for the queen. Um, she's definitely the biggest victim. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's in the 16. 16- 40s and 60s and 40s and all of that stuff Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna be like i'm gonna still laugh about barbara (laughs) because well what an icon and so she like officially strikes barbara's name from all the documents and she's like no i can't do this blah 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 but charles is like "Mm, no (laughs) and he sends away all of her staff and it replaces them with people from england which is also a really common practice because it's like a loyalty thing yeah that makes sense um, but it does mean that she has to, he, he basically forces her hand and Barbara does secure the lady of the bedchamber 
um, position. And these two women did not get along. Imagine I, if I would be so mad at my husband for doing that. Oh, well, yeah. Like, like not only are you going to have a mistress, but you're going to like make it like give her more power by like, I wouldn't even, here's the thing. I wouldn't even mind him giving his mistress more power, but to do it by my, by manipulating me, I would be furious. Oh yeah. I mean, I, she's rightfully mad. Yeah. But part of me is like, you know, he owes her common decency as anyone would owe any other person. Yeah. But this is not a love match. Right. You know what I mean? I feel like that goes beyond common decency, though. I mean, I mean, when you're married, you owe a certain level of, you know, respect. And right. you should not have treated her like this. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, in situations where we see an arranged marriage, you usually get one or both parties being incredibly petty about it. Yeah. No, that, like, I don't. I, I, I totally so I'm not, get that. I'm not excusing him. I'm just being like, I... I, me, I don't even understand it, but I'm just kind of like, okay, you know? For me, like, I understand about the fact that she's there. Like, she went there to marry him in an arranged marriage. And the one person who could be a friend and with her constantly, who he could have, like, taken the chance to be like, hey, I know you're kind of miserable here. And this I have is a mistress. also, I mean, these are not good people, as I said before. I know. I, know. So I just I feel don't, really bad for her. I mean, yeah, but I also am not expecting them to behave like good people because yeah. they are bad people. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not incredibly evident. Yeah. <laughs> so even though it sucks and I would much rather them be good people, I'm not going to like waste my time feeling like, oh, I wish you could have been a better person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because this is 400 years ago. Yeah. So what's done is done. Um, and to make matters worse, it becomes obvious that Catherine is not able to have children. So this, mm. you know, obviously yep. that's a point of really big insecurity for any queen. Um, and it's worse when your husband has a mistress who is having just so many babies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, so she's, like, obviously really not. And, of course, this also jeopardizes her actual influence and everything over the queen, over the king. Because, ultimately, he is in love with Barbara. Like, I think that's pretty obvious. This is not, like, you know, they're just screwing around. Like, mm-hmm. they've been together for decades. He has several children with her. He's willing to do what he can to, you know, make sure that he she stays in his life. So I think that's pretty obvious that they're, like, in love with each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got to be frustrating as the queen, as someone who's, like, I'm supposed to at least be trying to, like, pretend, you know, that we're going to, we're in love and all of this stuff. So, yeah. And also, like, you know, Barbara's influence on him, like, came so far that, like, even in her time that she was known as, like, the queen without a crown. Like, she had so much power and pull over him and all of this stuff. So, um, the six children that Barbara does have, um, the first one is Lady Anne Palmer, who later marries and becomes Fitzroy, born in 1661, um, officially a a child of, um, Charles II. Charles Farmer, uh, Palmer, um, who was the Lord Remerick and later Earl of Southampton, um, you know, officially a son, Henry, who was born in 1663, um, also has some titles, Charlotte, born in 1664. She is pushing out. This is literally 61, 62, 63, 64, 65. Mm-mm. 
And then later she has one in 72. And that one is contested. Um, because she claims that it's Charles's daughter, but everyone, like historians are like, eh, this is probably not, um, probably not actually biological heir. So the five children are Anne, Charles, Henry, Charlotte, George, and then possibly Barbara. So this lady has a lot of kids. Um, as far as who she was as a person, you know, there are really, as any people in this position, there are highly contested accounts about like how she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically it's just like whether or not you liked her. Um, a lot of people described her obviously as a ravishing young beauty that she was fun and feisty and many thought she was excellent company and a very generous host. Um, as an example, during the celebrations for the arrival of the King and Queen to London on the 24th, 23rd of August, in 1662, Samuel Pepys, our best man here, <laughs> um, was watching the celebrations where he felt lucky enough to stand to be standing under Barbara, who was from, on a terrace above. Mm. And he, quote, glutted myself with looking at her. But what impressed him most was that when a scaffolding fell down, like, <laughs> on the crowd, she, of all the great ladies, was the only one to run down among the common rabble to see what hurt was done and did not take care of a child or and did take care of a child that received some little hurt with which methought was so noble. Aww. So like, you know. Okay. Yeah. And here's the thing, when you were a royal and it's sixteen sixty two and you have a woman. Yeah. And you're a woman, you have to kind of be kinda catty. So I can't even like blame her. For a lot of things. Because she's just she's just hanging out with a guy. Should she have done it? No. But she's just doing what she can. I have a lot of sympathy for women throughout history who do what they need to do to yeah. secure a life for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm more mad at Charles being a dick. Well, yeah. We can do that. I yeah. mean, but what British monarch hasn't been a dick? So, um, however, <laughs> you know... We're talking about Henry VIII's, like, grandson here. So we're not doing... We're not <laughs> The doing legacy great. continues. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, there are people who really, really, really did not like her. A lot of people thought that she was greedy, arrogant, and that she was manipulating Charles um, in order to, like, you know, keep him in her pocket, basically. They also worried about... Um, how much influence she had over him and like whether or not that was good for the country, all of that stuff. And of course people say this too, if she's going to be like, if they think she's to blame for some of the decisions Charles doesn't, that Charles makes that she doesn't, or Mm -hmm. that they don't like, you know, um, there was, uh, you know, um, stories about her famously, her like really, everyone knew she had like this apparent like horrifying temper that would just like get way mm. out of control that she would storm out of Whitehall in a rage and to go stay with family or friends until he came to apologize and all of this stuff. Um, and then there's also like really awful stories about how she treated the actual queen herself. Um, and you know, I didn't have a time to do a big deep dive on this, so I don't know a whole lot about how she treated the queen. Um, I'm sure they were not friends, but a lot of the stories about like how she would just like follow her around and like constantly torment her. Yeah. And that kind of seems below Miss Barbara that she would just kind of be like, I don't know why she would be spending her time, like wasting her time doing that constantly. I mean, maybe jealousy that the, the queen gets to, you know, but have like completely legitimate children and 
if she were to have children. I don't think that was a priority for Barbara because her children already had titles. They already had an inheritance mm-hmm. and she already had the king in her pocket. I mean, she, because she couldn't marry the king though. That might've been a cause of jealousy in and of itself. I don't think that was the case either. I mean, she's definitely jealous of the queen, but I don't think it was to the point where she would like constantly torment her. Mm-hmm. That just seems kind of below like what she would be willing to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think she's that, that, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, just wrapped up in this whole thing. Um, because she's already very secure in her position in court. She doesn't have anything to worry about. Yeah. Um, so, um, she definitely was like the top dog at court and everyone knew it. Um, she was a huge patron of the painter Peter Lely who became the official court painter. And through their relationship, she, like, secured her reputation through being, like, the court beauty of the day. Um, he His style of painting was very well known for painting his subjects in relaxed poses with loose clothing and bedroom eyes, that being very titillating mm. and sexy. So, of course, Barbara, who's like, yes, that's me. <laughs> um, she had so many portraits painted of herself that she had, she has more portraits than the actual queen. Oh, dang. Yeah. And I don't even think that's like, again, I don't think that's her being petty. I think she just liked being painted. She's a little self-absorbed. Well, what else do you do? But yeah, exactly. Let me sit for eight hours and let you paint this. And you can Google like, look, like look at lady castle, like just Google lady Castlemaine. And there are so many portraits of her. So many. Her good friend Sam regularly um, commented on her beauty in his diary. She was the object of, um, and he was like really into her, like kind of in a creepy way. He bought like copies of her portraits and like all of this stuff. So like not good, not good, Sam. But maybe they were friends, so maybe it was like okay. Um, he calls her my lady Castlemaine, and he would often write about how he admired her, um, felt sympathy for her personal issues, but like all of this stuff. Um, I don't know what I expected, but uh, this one's kind of a unique, like, I didn't expect her to quite look like that. I know. She's not what I would call, but of course, you know, beauty is objective and beauty standards also radically, changed. radically changed. Um, but she definitely has a really unique look about her. Um, and it's interesting to see that like this was at the time considered like the pinnacle of beauty. She's just, to me, she's got really sad eyes. Yeah, I think they were trying to go for sexy, but I don't know if it's reading like that to, like, our modern. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, but Sam, like, as they kind of, you know, progressed, he kind of becomes almost um, concerned with, like, okay, I really like this lady, but it's obvious that, like, the queen or the king should not be having this affair, Mm -hmm. you know? So he kind of, like, is conflicted in his opinion i don't think about her but just about like the situation and he says quote the king do mind nothing but pleasures that my lady castlemaine rules him he who he had he says hath all the tricks of eritan that are to be practiced to give pleasure so you know mm. yeah um there is another diarist by the name of john evelyn who hated her um, he wrote that quote, lady, lady of pleasure and curse of our, that she was a quote, lady of pleasure and curse of our nation. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of people knew that she was a major distraction for Charles and they're like, you can't focus on your 
duties because you're off dutying this lady. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I'm kind of curious to see, like, you know, if he was super in love with Catherine and spent all of her time with all of his time with her, like, would there have been the same kind of attitude of like, you're spending way too much time with your wife and not focusing on, you know how, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously yeah. like everyone's going to say that because like, he should not be spending time with this mistress, you know? Um, but I'd be interested to see like, you know, it, would they be more okay with it? He was, mm-hmm. if he was ignoring his actually King stuff to be right. with his wife, you know, it would just be an interesting like look at. Um, and this guy, John e- Evelyn was really, really, really by or really pious. He was very religious. Um, and, to him, Lady Castleman really embodied, like, the, like, this restoration court was apparently, like, not very religious, and he did not like that. And to him, like, she was the pinnacle of that, and so he just really was not a fan. Um, of course, you know, as with anything, especially when you're a mistress and especially when men at the time are like basically able to get get away with like whatever they want at mm-hmm. any time, um, as with, you know, a wife and everything too, her influence on him kind of grew and shrank as the years went through. There were other women who caught his eye, um, notably there was a woman called Frances Tess, Teresa Stewart who never um, like gave in. And this was in 1663. So still like very much in the midst of their like, you know, torrid love affair. Mm-hmm. She was appointed as a new lady in waiting for the queen. Um, and she was 15 at the time. So like I already don't love mm. this because Charles is <laughs> well over 30 at this point, or at least he's 33. Um, Sam Pepys describes her as quote, the prettiest girl in all the world. And this is when he still likes um, Barbara. So that's a lot to say. And it said that, like, the king chased her relentlessly. And even one night, mm. he went, he, like, went to, um, I'm getting confused in my notes. So <laughs> Barbara knew this. And so he, like, she, like, plots to, like, okay, well, we're going to make him not interested in this and know that, like, I'm, I'm the one that you need to be paying attention to. So rumor has it that he goes to Barbara's bed. Like he's going to go, you know, have his tour affair with his mistress. <clears throat> and he finds her in her bed with Francis. Not sure what they were doing, but okay, she was there. And I wonder if it was just Barbara being like, you're going to come have sex with me when you're trying to ta- get this 15 year old girl. And so Charles was, like, upset, but Francis was like, no, like, I am a true woman. So she defends her virtue, and she just outright rejects him. Um, And, yeah, and then so Barbara was like, "Mm, this is not done yet. Like, we're not not over with this thing. So she has to, like, really make sure that Charles is not interested in this, like, because, of course, Charles is like, oh, she's, I'm going to win her, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm going to convince her as, like, gross men do mm-hmm. um so she persuades the king to surprise her in her bedroom but she finds or he finds her in bed the like naked with the duke of richmond like doing the do so that is it so barbara's not unwilling to scheme um which like again she's not a good person but 
at least at this time, it meant that a 33-year-old was not taking advantage of a 15-year-old. So what's interesting, too, is, like, court is obviously literally and socially a very political place. And so, like, among the court, there even began to form factions of, like, people who really supported Barbara and people were like, no, I don't like this woman. Um, She had super high influence, so she was able to kind of, like, give court favors. Um, Like, you know, like, she would, like, be able to dole out funding. You know, oh, you want to build a new castle or whatever? Just have to like me and I'll make that happen for you. Um, However, like, her enemies at court were really had a hard time. Um, Including the Lord Chancellor Earl of Clarendon, who, and the Lord Treasurer Earl of Southampton, who were loyal to the king but openly hated Barbara. She denounced both of them and did everything she could to remove them from power. John Evelyn, the other diarist, even reported that Clarendon, quote, had enemies at court, especially the buffoons and ladies of pleasure, because he thwarted some of them and stood in their way. And again, this is like the really pious, like really religious guy who's like definitely not about any women or anything Mm -hmm. doing anything. Um, So she like basically is in charge of court and she is exercising that power and she is able to like basically kind of demote Clarendon and the other guy and like make them have less power. Um, there is a ballad supposed or written by her um, that reads, quote, next comes Castlemaine, that prerog- pro- yeah, pro- blah, blah, blah. that prerogative queen. If I had such a bitch, I would spay her. She swives like a stoat, goes to leg and foot, level coil with a prince and a player. So I, that that line, if I had such a bit, bitch, mm. I would spay her. That's pretty. That's pretty that's, harsh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um. She also is like not winning anyone's favor because she is like spending money a lot. Obviously, she has you know all of these portraits, uh, these portraits painted of her, and that's not cheap either. But she's also like well known to be you know really into jewels and houses, houses and lavish living and luxuries. Um, and of course, all of this money is coming from the crown, so people don't like that she's spending this. She also had um, a bad habit of gambling, so like not super great. Um, she <laughs> apparently racked up a debt of around twelve thousand pounds by sixteen seventy four, so not not great. Um, an Italian diplomat by the name of Lorenzo Magalotti writes the prodigious the. Wow, I can't read anything. The how do you product? I know how to say that word. I'm looking at too much. Good. God, it's like my brain just sorted out. The pro the predig the prodigious prodigious amount of money dissipated by this woman who hath no moderation or limit in her desires passes all bounds and and exceeds all beliefs. So everyone knew. Um, also in the meantime, like in the late 1660s is when we get, um, what we talked about last episode with the body house riots and the poor horse petition. And she's kind of able to use like the last remaining influence, um, she has with the King to like get him to actually do something about this. Um, because by the 1670s, um, 
their relationship had kind of begun to fade. So she had this like 10 year, like torrid, illicit affair, like whirlwind. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of fades out. And honestly, it kind of reminds me of like the, (laughs) the Leonardo DiCaprio thing (laughs) where she got too old. And so he's like looking for a newer model because that's what happens. A woman by the name of Louise D. Carule that has so this name is spelled K E R O U A I L L E. Okay. So I'm not gonna say that. So Louise comes on the scene and pretty immediately she is replaced as the favorite. Like she can't Barbara can't do anything to stop this. Mm-hmm. She is getting older. By this time she has five kids. So I'm sure she's distracted by that. Yeah. And so you know, it might have been a blessing in disguise to be like, all right, you know what? My time has come and gone. <laughs> you guys have fun. Um, of course, she still is like has all of these court appointments and everything. So she still, you know, has a lot of power. However, the relationship between her and Charles is obviously strained. Mm-hmm. Um, she still has, you know, all of her titles and everything, too. And her kids are secure. So... I think I feel like she's feeling pretty secure. Um and more so too, like these are her titles. They're not just her husband's titles. Like they're hers. So she doesn't have to worry about yeah. anything. Um so in 1672, she does give a birth to another daughter who she names Barbara. Um and by this time she's having another affair with um another guy (laughs) um and she was like no this guy's this guy's definitely the king's son but everyone's like no no he's literally not um because she had been known to be having an affair with a man by the name of john churchill for upwards of a year so it kind of seems like they both move on around the same time Mm -hmm. um so charles doesn't acknowledge this child publicly and doesn't like you know um give her any of the titles or royal status or anything that her other children have. And Barbara seems like to be pretty okay with that. It kind of seemed like an attempt to be like, Hey, you want to, <laughs> you want to help this kid out too? And the King was like, nah. And she was like, yeah, valid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in 17 or 1672, um, they all, like they all, all of her children, even the youngest, um, they are given the surname Fitzroy, meaning son of the king. And this was done into to like confirm their official parentage as much as she could, um, even though it doesn't really mean much. Um, but I feel like I don't, and it doesn't, it wasn't clear like who gave them this title, like if it was something or this surname, like if it was something that the government did or if it was just something that she's like, we're going to be the Fitzroy's now. Um, but it does happen. Um, what is definitely the government is that the, her sons and her legitimate daughters that Charles has claimed all do officially receive in 1760 or sorry, in 1672 an official coat of arms. So like they are officially like, Yes, these are the king's mm. children. You know, they're not going to be in the line of succession, but they are the king's children. So, um, by this time, too, in, like, the mid-1700s, her 
place at court was weakening because, you know, she's not, um, you know, the official mistress anymore. She doesn't have that pull or influence. So people aren't really interested in seeking out like power and connections with her because she doesn't have that influence on the king anymore. Mm. And so in in 1673, she resigns as the lady of the bedchamber. And in 1674, she was actually fined for refusing to take part in Anglican services um, because she was Catholic. So, Mm. you know, at least she had that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then... The final blow came that was kind of a slap in the face when this new mistress that Charles had, Louise, her son was actually granted an official dukedom before any of her sons were. So she was like, you know what? Screw you. So she, she takes her three youngest kids and she's out. She moves to France. And Charles apparently told her, quote, Madam, all that I ask of you is is live so for the future as to make the least noise you can't. And I care not who you love. So he's like, just leave lady. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're done here. Um, but you know, in France, she is doing what she does best. And the French people love it as they tend to do. Um, so she continues her glamorous life and, you know, her reputation does follow her, of course, because she's literally just in France and she can use, continues to to have affairs with courtiers and young, um, you know, men of, of the French court this time and showers them with gifts and money. And, you know, she's just playing the game yeah. as she's done for years now. Um, she spends a couple years in France. Um she starts to encounter some money problems as you know as to be expected so people who live in luxury are not used to not living in luxury Uh uh-huh and also she's catholic now and apparently england is anglican at this point (laughs) um and so they were like not letting her move back to england permanently she does visit england some brief times throughout this like period where she's trying to get back but she can't um, but most of this was for marriage negotiations of her children. Um, you know, just business, mm-hmm. business attendings. Um, over the next couple of years, Anne and Barbara were involved in their own sexual scandals. Um, Anne was her oldest daughter and had affairs, <clears throat> um, on her own that like, you know, earned her reputation and Barbara, her youngest daughter gave birth to a child out of wedlock. Oh yeah. And spends the, and converts like she becomes a nun after that. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let me make sure. Let me go back. Cause I don't know if Barbara's old enough at this point. I also don't know exactly. Cause it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, Barbara's her only daughter, or her only daughter named Barbara. Um, you know when bios get towards the end, and so they're just kind of throwing everything at you? Yeah. And you're like, I don't know what year this is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we are, we're probably in the 16, um, yeah, well, she, I'm not going to try to figure that out. Um, anyway, they are, you know, not, probably because, you know, when you grow up with a mom who's not modeling the best behavior for you, yeah, you're gonna, you know, not have the best behavior um samuel pepys writes in uh that quote lady castlemaine is as high as she ever was though he believes the king is as weary of her as possible and would not and would give anything to remove her but he is so weak in his passion he dare not do it so like 
this i'm sorry i put that quote in the wrong place but it should have been like when he was like just leave Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like you know it just shows that like they they are done okay this is like 1680s we are good so in 1680 so barbara is old enough to have (laughs) had had a baby and it'd be okay yeah (laughs) um so she returns to england for good um and so there's not really a place in court for her um so she actually like she does go back to court and it said that like she becomes friends with charles so instead of like being his lover like they still have like a strong enough bond to be friends Hmm. you know even after all of this okay um she you know wasn't having she didn't have very much interest around her from the public um because she's not as like scandalous and like ooh intriguing as she was um she like you know she still was living her life she had several more affairs including with an, one with an actor by the name of cardell goodman who she might have given to a child or she might have given birth to his child at the age of 46 however we don't like that's not confirmed um in 1705, she was coerced into a bigamous marriage with a man by the name of Bo Fielding, who went on to have an affair with her granddaughter. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so, like, scandal. Um, as she kind of got up there in years, um, she, you know, had some debts, and so she starts selling off property and everything, too. Um, but, you know... It's yeah, it's what you have to do when you're when you're living that life. Yeah. Um. Her last few years were spent at her home in Chiswick Mall in England. She dies there on October 9th, seventeen o nine, at the age of sixty eight. Her grandson, the her grandson Charles, who was the second Duke of Grafton, was her principal heir and sole executor. So she has she lives to see grandsons and everything. Um. And. That's kind of where we leave her. And I think it's, you know, obviously these people weren't good people. And I'm not trying to say that they are. Mm -hmm. But I find, one, it's always fun when you have, like, these, like, ooh, tantalizing stories from history. You know, She has a tawdry story. She does. And that is always fun to talk about. Because, you know, it's not assigning a moral value to her. But it's just fun to hear about. Because, again... What I find really fascinating about particularly, you know, stuff connected to sex history is that, you know, so, so much of history is described as like, oh, just old and stuffy. Like, no, these people had nothing better to do. Yeah. (laughs) You know? No, yeah, for sure. So, and she did, she was able to, I mean, sure, she started off with an advantage. She already had a royal name and title. So she's already set for those reasons. But... Um, she doesn't have any money. And so she goes from like a very undesirable woman to like literally being one of the highest powered women in the country. Um, and she secures a life for herself and her children and her grandchildren. Um, so I just think that's really, I, I think it's for me personally, it's really, I like to hear stories about women getting power where they can. Yeah. Is it always in the best way? No. No. (laughs) Does it, do I love to hear about it all the time? No. But like, yeah. With the way women are treated like throughout history, it's, it's good to see. Um, so I do want to take a minute. She has been, you know, represented in all sorts of like 
media. There's been several novels in place written about her as they should. I feel like she would be a lovely subject for any of these. Um, she stars in, or she is the subject of a film as early as 1911. That's not um, surprising. Sweet Nell of the Old Drury. Um, so if you were interested in old film, I know those old films, they did like to do these like scandalous thing mm-hmm. pre-code. Um, and most recently, she was represented in a 2014 miniseries um, called The Great Fire and was played by Susanna Fielding. So if hmm. you are curious and watching any of those, you can do that. And I did find one of the articles say that apparently hmm. you can trace her lineage to someone in line for succession at this current moment. Um, but I could not figure out who I was like trying to Google it and it was just not working out how I was Googling it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wasn't using the right words, but I believe it, you know? Yeah. I mean, with all of her kids getting like titles and money, right? it makes sense that they end up back in the family tree. Yeah. Um, and are remarried. So anyway, that is Lady Castlemaine and her wonderfully scandalous life. That was wonderfully scandalous. I'm... I'm thoroughly scandalized right now. Are you? I am. I'm sorry. It is Sunday morning. I, I guess yeah, we shouldn't be talking about this. We should be in church. We should. Uh, that is why we talked about the Pope this so much in mind, because I planned there you that. Go. Um, I definitely planned that. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> no, that was really good. And it actually provides a lot of context for what's going on for the last week's topic, too. So that was really, really good. Thank you. Yeah. I, it's just, I don't know. It's it's a bit of fun. A bit of fun. Yeah. Yep. And I, you know, people get hurt along the way, and that sucks, and we feel, we do feel bad for them. But this also started four hundred years ago, so it's kind of like it's like a bucket war. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. you got to take your losses in history. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. So uh, anyway, cool. Yeah. Very very nice. Thank you. Well, that was that was solid. We hit our usual time probably. Yeah, we're yeah, good. We did. We're good. Wow. I was worried because mine didn't have as many pages of notes as usual. But um, awesome. Now you're good. I filled it up. Lady Castlemaine had a much more intricate life than than I was anticipating. Because I was like, oh, she's probably just a little bit on my, like, yeah, like the Wikipedia page would be like, she was the mistress. And then no. And then no. (laughs) No. So, yeah. But anyway, guys, thanks for listening in to episode 99. Yeah. We're actually really excited to bring you 100 um next week yeah it should be good so be sure to be there um in the meantime um if you want to tell us something or critique my pronunciation of bologna um feel free to tweet at us at t-i-n-a-h-l podcast and email us at this is not a history lecture at gmail.com we would love um to hear from you what you want to hear also Leave a review if you don't mind. Um, every review you leave is one more candle to give me a reason to live. So, you know, I appreciate those. Um, I was like, one more candle? Maybe we are in church. <laughs> um, and in the meantime, stay safe and healthy and have a Merry Christmas. I believe that this will no, be... No, this is after Christmas. Is that Christmas? Well, I hope yep. you had a have good a Christmas. Have a happy new year. A happy new year. Yep. Yep. And we will happy talk holidays, to you. Happy holidays. Happy new year. All that jazz. And- yep. We won't talk to you in 2023, but you will hear us in 2023 for the next time. Yes. Yep. Yes, you Until will. Until then. Just a reminder that this has not been a history lecture. Bye. Bye.